Well, let me start with some scripture this morning. I, I added this after hearing it in Lexio Divina last week, our daily prayers, which are all invited to on Zoom at noon if you would like to join us someday. We'll start in Mark 7. Um, I think I have, yeah, 7, 14 through 21 if you have your Bibles. It, said, it says, Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me all of you and understand there's nothing outside a person that going in can defile thanks but the things that come out are what defile and when he left the crowd and entered the house his disciples asked him about this parable don't you love the disciples they're always doing like what does that mean Jesus he said to them then do you also fail to understand do you not see that whatever goes in, sorry, that's my fault, not Quinn's. How's that? Okay. More? How's that? We'll keep reading and then we'll fix it. Um, do you not see whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not in the heart but the stomach and goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, it is what comes out of a person that defiles. For it is within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. So this summer, do you guys have summer reading? I know some schools do. We have some summer reading around here on staff and elders. We've been reading a book called um, A Sacred Time in a Secular Age. And I've also concurrently been reading other books about this current age that we're in. One is called Thank You for Being Late. And basically it just says we're all behind. We're all so incredibly behind technologically. And we're going to feel really guilty about it all the time because we just can't keep up. Now, this sermon is not about the evils of technology. I really love technology, by the way. Um, I like social media. I like to be able to Zoom. I loved it during COVID. There are so many things that technology has allowed us to do. So don't get worried that I'm going to take off social media. Um, Because I see you anyway on there, and I probably message you on there. Um, However, I think it would be... um, it would be wrong to say that all of that technology doesn't also come at a cost. It comes at a cost to our souls and to our lives. And you guys know that too. That's not news. Um, scripture says it's not what actually comes in to your body that makes things evil. It's actually what's happening inside of our souls. And so technology and all the things that are happening in the world, yeah, that's some of it's good, some of it's evil. I get that. But what we do with it is what really matters. And Jesus says that over and over again. What is happening in our hearts and how we're discerning the spirit on things is really the key. But never before since the invention of the printing press, so that's Gutenberg, right? There's never been more and faster sociological and societal change. You are living in an age right now that is making history. 
And if you think about it, we were never meant or created to hear all of everybody's emotions and news all the time. We, we can't do that. <laughs> we can't even do part of it. And if you, if you, like me, have turned off the news in the last few weeks just because you could not handle all the tragedy, which is unusual for me. I usually continue to watch. Um, if you have been like that, then you know how it feels and what we're all feeling collectively. In addition, nothing is a mystery to us. There's no more mystery, right? Like, oh, well, we'll just find it out. Let me look it up on my Google machine. Um, when Jesus said there's nothing inherently evil and it's not what outside pressures that you're facing that's a problem and that it's our souls that matters, we need to contend with that. That's the part we need to contend with. And so I have some more scriptures. I have two characters in the Old Testament that I'd like to um, recognize, uh, share with you. And I don't think um, they had social media but they had a lot of pressure on their lives. They were women in a time that um, was difficult for women. And so we're going to go to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis. And we're going to um, talk about that little love triangle with Sarah and Abraham and Hagar. And we're going to see how these two women react to the pressures in their lives. And I wonder, and as we read the scripture... I wonder in the midst of all these questions and all this overwhelming feeling that we have when we think about the problems of the world, I wonder if maybe God has more questions for us than maybe we have for him. So as I'm reading this, this, this story, try to pick out what are the questions that God is actually asking of these two women. And I think that can help guide us. Sorry, my mouth is really dry. It's the mask. Genesis 16, verse 16. Now Sarai, who later becomes Sarah, Abram's wife, Abraham, they changed their names later, God changes their names later, had borne him no children, so they were barren. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. I always want to kick it back to Sammy Hagar, but it's Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, and by the way, they're old at this point, older than me, and I'm not thinking about having any more children. So, you know, these guys are in their 60s, I think, at this point. He's... Uh, Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years. Sarai took his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong. I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. She blames him. Watch what he says. Your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. So, of course, his response is, hey, I had nothing to do with this, even though he slept with her and is having a child. 
he says, I had nothing to do with this. This is your idea. Does this remind you of any other stories? Oh, yeah, I think I had this one with my husband yesterday. Like, this is your fault. No, this is your fault. Okay. Um, the slave's in your hand. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So the slave girl's doing just what she's told, as a slave girl should do in this context. Not that it's right, but it definitely was the context at the time. And this is what happens. She gets shunned from um, the family. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Two questions, right? Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So she's encouraged by this. The Lord visits her, asks her two questions, where are you coming and where are you going? And then tells her to go back, even though this is going to be miserable for her. Later in verse 13, she says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God. The name was Elroy, R-O-I. You are the God who sees. You're the God who sees me. She says, I have now seen the one who sees me. So see her reaction? So when was the last time you felt seen by God? That's a pretty miraculous moment, right? She's in the worst of her times. She's destitute. No money, no, in the, probably in the middle of the desert. And she cries out to the Lord. And he asks her a couple of questions. Now let's see how Sarah reacts later in, in Genesis 18. So two women, Hagar says, I've seen the Lord and he's seen me. Let's see what Sarah does. Later they changed her name to Sarah and Abraham. And in Genesis 18 and verse 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Marmara. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing by. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet him and bowed low to the ground, which you should do if there's angels, right? He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. Now, some commentaries say that 30 years have passed since the situation with Hagar and now, where the angels come to visit them. So they're probably around in their 90s now, just to give you some context here. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. We're going to skip to verse 9 here. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the... Now, listen, if someone came and told me I was going to have a son, I would laugh too. But let's give her a moment. Um, Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out 
and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? She's been waiting a long, long time. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, so here's the questions from God, right? Why did Sarah laugh? Will I really have, why'd she say, will I really have um, a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? God is asking this question. Is there anything too hard for me? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied. And she said, I did not laugh. But God said, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) So do you see the two different responses between Hagar and Sarah? Hagar says, I've seen the Lord and the Lord sees me. She gives him the name Elroy. And Sarah laughs and says, I'm not having a kid, I'm old. And God said, is anything too difficult for me? Two women, two promises from God. Both are seen by God. He sees them both. He has a larger plan for the whole community and for the whole world for that matter if you dig deep into Genesis. Um, But he asks Hagar, "Where where did you come from and where are you going? And he asks Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? So do we still believe? Do we still believe that God is alive and active in our lives? Do we believe that he's alive and active in the world when you watch the news? So normally I would give you some action items now, something to do. Um, But what I'm learning is that every time I invite you into a small group or into another activity, you hear, I'm so busy, I can't do something else. And so today I'm really going to leave you with some thoughts and some questions that you can ask of yourself. And maybe the Lord is asking of us all. We're not inviting you here to another thing at Lakeland. We are inviting you into a larger story. Not another thing to make your life crazy. We don't mean to make you crazy. But what we're learning is that in a time of secularity, where people don't believe like they used to, and it's just not assumed, that we also have to contend with whether we believe or not. God invites us out of that secularity and that time and that rat race to think about what is sacred. And he invites us into a story that's larger than ourselves. And yes, it takes time. But the time is the byproduct of how we see the larger story. So what does it look like to have a sacred life? And what does it look like to continue to fight secularity and the things that are happening on the outside? My suggestion is to look inward, to look inside in how we are perceiving both God and the world. So um, I know that you guys saw some things as you came in um, the lobby. We're getting ready to celebrate a 25th anniversary, so we're all feeling a little nostalgic, sharing some pictures of our 20, now 25-year-olds, but when they were babies, and 
how they hang out. So I've written a little story. Uh, it's a little nostalgic, but it's, a, it's um, a collective story. Some of it is about my own life, and some of it is about us. And I'll end us with that. And um, this answers the question of where we've come from, Lakeland. Some things of where we've come from. So sometimes we were fast, and sometimes we limped and carried each other. We sat in driveways. We had play dates. We talked about pacifiers and cutting carbs, and we conferred about doctors and dentists and that teacher. And we talked about schools, both public and private, and homeschooling. And we celebrated each other's achievements, new jobs, promotions, raises, graduations, ordinations. We celebrated our kids' achievements. They made the team. They made the school play. They got the lead. They got, a, they got into choir. They did debate. They did student council. They wrote for the paper. They got such and such score on the ACT. We also fretted about our children. Will they ever sleep through the night? Are they too shy? Are they too bold? Are they too talkative? Are they not talkative enough? Are they too slow and are they too fast? What if they don't believe in God? How do we show them a God-bathed world? And are we just terrible parents? And also, when will they sleep through the night? (laughs) Really, where did they come from? And where are they going? As they get older, we see glimpses of God and his goodness in this process. And then one day, something terrible happens. And one day, we fly across the United States to take one of our friend's daughters to rehab. And we just slowly pat each other on the back as we cry. Because there's no words. And then you see the goodness of God again. Because there's a small glimmer of hope that always carries you through the story of God. Because you know that he sees. He sees you in that airport. And he sees our kids. And then our children grow up in the village. And we see God's hand in mighty and mystical ways. As we did everything to protect them, and as they start to protect us. We will bear witness to pain, friends. But we will also see God's healing hand for both ourselves and our children. We'll fight with our siblings. And we'll realize why it's painful to watch our children fight with their siblings. We will know that God's intention was always for reconciliation and never for abandonment. We will see relationships come and they will go. Some relationships will break. We are sinful and this will happen. Some relationships, they will feel more betrayal than you thought ever imaginable. But we will watch God restore for relationships. And indeed, he restores people to wholeness. 
We'll bury our mothers and our fathers. And tragically and painfully and hopefully, very rarely, we may bury a child. We'll tell each other horrible stories of hospital visits and feeling numb upon hearing the news. And we'll text each other and we say, I heard the news. And we'll come over and we'll probably have a lot of food. We'll bear one another bur- another's burdens. We'll examine and diagnose each other's lives. We'll look at each other's roofs and sinks and explain what a pee trap is and why your basement smells so funky. I didn't know what that was. We'll look at each other's sunspots and we'll say, you really need to get that looked at. And we'll talk about colonoscopies and mammograms and whatever you dudes get tested on. (laughs) And then we'll say, man, we are old. We'll cheer on the Royals and the Chiefs and camp and hike and play board games and we'll see our children fall in love and get engaged and do what we did at one time. And then we'll have a lot of fun. And one day, a young lady in Virginia will, might Snapchat you at 26 years old, and she'll say, oh, so-and-so from church, a six-year-old woman sent me a birthday card. And the next Snapchat will say, and she sent cash. <laughs> and that woman had, prompted, had been prompted by the Holy Spirit to send that girl a birthday card and what neither one of them probably knew is that that young lady would probably never get another birthday card from her own grandmother because her grandmother has forgotten birthdays. That is the hand of God. We'll know that beyond boundaries of space and time that this is God's provision in his magical, mystical way, and they don't even know it. God has always strangely, mystically, and with the promptings of the Holy Spirit, been here the whole time. That's where we've come from. Those are the stories that we've come from. If we just take a minute to notice it, if we just show up to it, And take some time to remember. Remembering is very important. I think we can find our belief again. Now, this is not just nostalgia. Because we'll need an imagination for the future. That will hold us on. That might keep us on for a little while. But we'll continue to need to have a Christian imagination for the future. And in in the coming year, the elders are doing that for the whole church. But you guys should be doing that too. You are the church. Where have you come from? And where are you going? It's much easier to look back. It's a little harder to take some time and say, I'm going to spend my time in the sacred time. So when you're tempted to quit on this whole thing and your brain starts to ask all those questions, there's a question maybe God is asking of you. A couple of them. But I'm going to leave you with the last one. Is anything too difficult for God? That's what you need to think. Is anything too difficult for God when you think about the future?
If the, if the answer is no, then keep showing up and see what he does. Amen.